1: Thanks for downloading the Let's Talk About Suicide podcast. This podcast is for anyone who's lost a loved one to suicide and will be focusing on the LGBTIQA communities. As the name suggests, this podcast discusses issues around suicide, which can be a tough subject to talk about, but it's important that we do. We want to provide support to people who are bereaved by suicide and let people talk about it. In all our discussions, we'll be conscious to use appropriate language and your self-care is important. Listening to this podcast may raise issues for you, and if this is the case, we'd encourage you to contact one of the following services in Australia. QLife on 1800 184 527. The Suicide Callback Service on 1300 659 467. Or Lifeline on 13 11 14. You can find all of these contact details on the Joy website at joy.org.au slash letstalk. This Joy podcast is produced in association with Support After Suicide, a program of Jesuit social services that provides support to people who are bereaved by suicide, and Switchboard Victoria, which provides peer-driven support services for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender and gender diverse, intersex, queer, and asexual people, their families, allies, and communities. We would also like to acknowledge that this podcast was recorded on the lands of the Wundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and we would like to pay our respects to their elders past, present, and emerging and to extend our respects to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who are listening. If you are listening to this podcast anywhere in Australia, you are on Aboriginal land. Always was, always will be. Welcome to this episode of Let's Talk About Suicide. My name is Hamish Blunk and I'm your host for this podcast. Also guiding you through each of our episodes are two experts, Joe Ball, who is the CEO of Switchboard Victoria, they're also an LGBTIQA community leader and use the pronouns they, them, and Dr Louise Flynn, who is a psychologist and also the manager of support after suicide. You'll also hear four brave people who have talked to us about their experience with losing a loved one to suicide, Beau, Lara. Peter, and Alice. In this episode and the next one, we're going to be talking about how you can support a person who has lost someone to suicide. Many people have been touched by suicide, so it's important to know how to give that support. If you're listening and have lost somebody, you might identify with some of the helpful and not-so-helpful ways that people try to help. Also, it's likely that you yourself are supporting others during this time. Just having the right words can be hard for some people, but there are some really simple things to say and do in this situation. This is what Lara really appreciated in those early days after Ingrid died.
0: I think when people learnt about my loss, lots of people were fantastic and um, did things that I didn't even know I needed, um, which was basically just for people to be there. But I think, as I said before, maybe just... um, I'm so sorry. How are you coping? What can I do? I think those those things are really important.
1: This is Bo.
2: I guess I would initially say, are you okay? And um, and just ask them. You know, I've had a similar situation. Well, I've had the same thing happen um, to me. Um, uh, the loss the loss of my partner to suicide. You know you want to sit down and we can talk about things? Is there anything I can do to help?
1: Things like asking how you're coping, or if there's anything I can do, are simple things that you can say. It is really just acknowledging the death that is important, as Alice talks about here.
3: I think it would have been fine just to say, as some people did say, like, you know, I heard that Ingrid died. I'm really sorry that that happened. It didn't have to be anything fancy and I know not everybody feels this way but I never minded people saying just that they were sorry. I think that's fine. I think that sort of directness um not necessarily even like not necessarily talking about the fact that it was a suicide especially if we didn't know each other that well but yeah just saying like I heard that I heard that you lost someone recently. Yeah. And I was sorry to hear it.
1: This is what Louise said when I asked her what you say to a person who has just lost someone to suicide.
4: I think they, they actually answered that question really well. Like, I'm sorry this has happened. Um, I don't know what to say. I think often people are afraid of saying something. They're worried they're going to make it worse. Other times people want to say something that's going to fix it or make it better. And actually that's not possible. People have this feeling that they've got to say something really clever or profound to make it better. But actually just very simple, kind words. Yeah. Very simple, kind words and a willingness to listen.
1: And Joe talks here, as Alice did, about acknowledging the death and talking about the person who has died.
5: What's really important is is also just to I think what the strong message that comes out of all those people is they wanted people to talk to them about the person they had lost. They wanted acknowledgement that they were going through something and that they had lost someone and that someone in their life had died. They wanted that and that, that's what they said. And I think, you know, an example that happened to me was that somebody came up to me and said, which wasn't so helpful, was they said, how are you going with that thing that happened, you know, before? And they were talking about Ingrid's suicide. And that was not very helpful because I think, yeah, I think actually... That thing that happened, not a great way to talk about it, but I think what what was beautiful was when people did say, I'm sorry to hear, just exactly what, yeah, what you were saying, Louise. Just those simple words, I'm sorry to hear. Mm.
1: But beyond words, what are some things that people look for in terms of support?
4: I think initially sometimes people are wanting to know that what they're experiencing is actually normal. It's usually such a very, very intense and quite overwhelming experience so to just be able to assure people that as difficult as this is this is um, this is actually normal Um, it's really tough but it's actually really normal so I think that that's often um, initially what people benefit from Eventually, sometimes what's also really helpful is perhaps some counselling, but also meeting other people, as Beau suggested there, meeting other people who've actually had the same experience. When an experience like this happens, it's so intense, it can feel very isolating, it can feel very lonely. So to meet other people um, who share that experience can be incredibly beneficial.
1: The amount of support that you're able to give somebody depends a lot on who you're supporting, your relationship to that person, and also your relationship with the person who died. One way of thinking about this is the concept referred to as the circle of support. Here's Jo.
5: It literally is a diagram of circles, and if I can just explain it, I think it's quite useful for community responses to suicide and seeing where you in the community fit in that circle and who you can support and how. And the concept is, is that there is... One circle and then there's a circle around that circle and then a circle around that circle. So a series of circles. And in the middle of the whole diagram is the person or people most affected by the suicide. So that could be um, the people who are there at the moment or the person who found them. It could be friends and family, partner, just people we consider who are just right at the centre of the suicide. And then from there, you sort of think about yourself or where you might sit in proximity as a community member, to the inner circle. So it might be the next layer of the circle is then people who are like friends and family, but they weren't actually there. or And then outside of that might be friends that maybe went to high school with them, and then so on and so forth. It's all about your literal proximity to the person who died and to the event of suicide. And the concept is, the closer you are in is, is the more that you are affected, they talk about support in and dump out. So if you, for the people, if you're looking at who you should support, it's the people who are more in the, are more in the centre of the circle than you are, and the people that you can get support from, hence dump out, are the people who are on the outside of the circle. So if you're looking to see who you should be supporting, and who should be supporting you, you think about yourself in this circle of support what can happen is the person in right in the centre can find themselves in a position where people who are on the outside of the circle are going straight into the centre to get support from the person who, say, even found the person. So a well-estranged estranged friend can be asking for the person who found them to give them heaps of support, and that's not great.
1: Lara, being at the very centre of the circle, talks about this in a really clear way in terms of her capacity to help and support other people.
0: Because you, you, well, for me anyway, I had so little capacity for other people, um, and other people's things. I think sometimes I was surprised, um, in early on if I'd meet up with people and if they had a lot of things that they needed to talk about, because I probably wasn't the right person to, for that, for other people for some time. And that was really hard because I couldn't really be a supportive friend back to people. Um, And I think sometimes I'd say, oh, that's okay. You talk about what you need to talk about. But it was really draining and exhausting. So sometimes I guess I was surprised, not by very many people, because a lot of people were fantastic. Most people were fantastic. But by some people that um, maybe didn't understand how much your capacity is reduced and would maybe expect you to be able to listen and support them in the way that you had before.
1: It is worth thinking about where you fit into the circle of support within your family, friends and community. It can really help you to identify who you should be supporting and also give you some pointers about who you should ask for support when you need it. If you're supporting someone at the very centre of the circle, what Peter talks about next might be really useful. He talks about what he really appreciated from his family and friends.
6: But I was lucky I had, had, and I still do, I had very good friends and very good family, you know. If I didn't answer the phone, (laughs) someone else would ring. If I didn't answer, you know, someone would ring my sister and then my sister would ring me. And so I had a... I mean, I didn't know that they had arranged all of this, you know, to make sure that I was always going to be okay and someone was always, you know, making sure that I was okay. But I never really got to sleep in, (laughs) bizarrely. I just never got to have that day in that, you know, that day or that morning in bed because, A, the dog needed to be walked or whatever, but... Um, someone would always just check up and make sure. And I remember there was there was only one or two occasions where I did try to sleep in and people came to my door <laughs> just just to make sure that I was okay, you know. And look, I'm forever grateful for it, you know, and I and I'm and I'm not gonna complain about it, but um but at times that was a bit hard that was hard going too, you know? Because, I don't know, it didn't happen to me often but I just it was just one one or two occasions where I just wanted to be completely alone and shut off.
1: To the world, Peter mentioned there that there were times where he just wanted to be alone, which is to be expected. But having friends and family work together and coordinate contact and visits with Peter was really helpful to him. Alice and Lara also said something similar to me, that their friends set up a group chat to make sure that someone was always in regular contact with them. Here's Louise talking about that kind of collective approach to support.
4: I think that's a lovely example of a community gathering and uh, working together and also Peter's friends and family too, gathering around. Because I think one of the things that um, happens is that sometimes people will say and very well-intentioned and genuine, uh, let me know if there's anything I can do. But actually it can be really hard to let people know. It can feel very not motivated not have much energy to actually make the phone calls and arrange for people to do things. So if a group of people are gathering around, getting organised, making arrangements, um, that can be um, incredibly helpful and very useful. So being sort of proactive is actually a a good way to do things, I think.
1: So instead of saying something like, what can I do for you, say something like, I'll go to the supermarket and buy you some groceries.
4: That's right. That's right. It's also good to be aware that people do grieve differently and people have different needs. So sometimes people will have a high need for contact. You know, they don't want to be alone. They feel safer when there's company. And for other people at different times, they will benefit from having some space and some alone time. Some people will have a need to, to be very expressive in their grief, to cry and other people will need not to do that, but will benefit more from being more active, from doing things, making arrangements. So I think that's another very helpful thing to remember, that people do grieve differently and that one way actually isn't better than another.
1: Alice looked at this community approach from another perspective.
3: Particularly people who maybe um, were giving me support, telling me explicitly about the support that they had, um, and saying, you know, like, I've got this friend and my housemates are really great, and, you know, and being like honest, like, I have, you know, I'm seeing my psychologist on Monday, and knowing that those people had support as well made it um, feel safer for us to get support from each other. Yeah, it just felt safer and it felt stronger to know that people could explicitly have those conversations, and it also really normalized the idea that everybody was getting help and everyone was having a hard time. And getting support was something that you did not only for yourself, but so the people around you knew that you were safe.
1: Having conversations about the support you're getting might encourage others to also seek out support. It might make it feel less scary for them or less taboo. We've talked in this episode already about some of the things you can say and do to help support a person who has lost someone to suicide, but there are also things that are really unhelpful and potentially harmful. Something that can be really distressing for someone bereaving a suicide is being asked the how question, questions around method. It seems to be human nature or curiosity to ask these questions, but it can be really upsetting as was Beau's experience.
2: Yeah, there have been a couple of occasions where, you know, sometimes, you know, if, if somebody asks me, I don't I don't like I don't like talking about, you know, how, but, you know, when somebody asks me, well, you know, how did he do it, I just, I'm like, oh, I don't really want to get into that, sorry. It doesn't help to tell people how it happens. I just don't think that helps at all. Yeah, it can be quite upsetting, actually, hearing hearing um, those kind of things as well. So,
1: here's Louise.
4: It can be very distressing to be asked, just kind of casually or insistently, how how did they do it? It's it's uh, insensitive and it's intrusive. It's kind of people just almost instinctively ask that without an awareness of the impact that that's going to have on the person they're talking to. In suicide prevention, we tend to say that we we shouldn't talk about the method. And I think that's, that's actually a correct principle. But there are people, because of the trauma and their closeness with the person, it is actually better if they want to know that they are told. The reason for that is related to the traumatic aspect of it. So if someone has a need to know and they don't know their imagination will be very active about what's happened. And there can be a tendency to continually be thinking about it, wondering about it, trying to work it out. In that situation, if someone's um, told in a respectful, sensitive manner about what's actually happened, then they can process that trauma. And so it's more stable, more secure, So I think there are times when it is important to let people know, as I said, in a sensitive, without any graphic details, um, in a sensitive way. There is a
5: lot of curiosity when someone has died by suicide. I think that people can be very driven to find out the unknown. There are people who do need to know about about the how the person died by suicide, I think it's it it is important to some people, and and I think those people, the, how you can understand those people, is people who are very very close. So the people that I talked about before, so the like the really close chosen family, the really close biological family, children, you know, of the person who's suicide. I think they do need to know for a range of reasons. However, there certainly is people who don't know any better who will come up to you and ask you out of pure curiosity how the person suicided and I think what's important to remember is that when somebody asks you that and you're bereaved by suicide more likely than not you will actually be taken to the moment of thinking you will visualize and that's why it's important not to ask people if it's completely unnecessary to ask them is because you'll often people will get thoughts and visualizations of how they died and that is extremely hurtful and, and harmful to sort of be reminded about that on a regular basis so I think yeah there's very specific and a small amount of people who really need to know and everybody else just needs to realize needs to put it at somewhere else they don't need to know
1: There are a lot of cliches and platitudes used when people are trying to support the bereaved. Things like, they're in a better place now, they're at peace now, or life will go on. They are well-intentioned, no doubt, but how helpful are they?
4: They don't tend to be helpful. People are genuinely trying to be helpful, but platitudes like he's at peace now tend not to be helpful, they tend to be irritating, and they tend to kind of trivialise the experience of the loss
1: as you heard at the beginning of the episode saying things like i'm sorry to hear about the death of your loved one or what can i do to help are simply more helpful you've probably also heard people say how they think that suicide is an act of selfishness
5: and and one of the platitudes that people give you is that they feel like it's helpful but they can definitely i heard it a number of times of people saying that this is the ultimate selfish thing to do And I think that's something that exists around suicide. And I think it's their way of trying to probably address some of the guilt that you might be feeling and to attribute blame squarely on the shoulders of the person who died. But I think when you really care for somebody or in some instances love that person, to be told that they've done the ultimate act of selfishness, I just think, firstly, I don't think it's true. I don't think that's that's a true thing of suicide i think it's extremely judgmental and i think it's actually just stigmatizes suicide and stops people from talking about suicide
4: yes there can be a tendency as i said to to really judge or criticize the person um to think of them as weak or selfish the tendency to judge a person who's taken their own life can also it comes from a misunderstanding as you've said joe of suicide There's also um, people are seeing the pain that's left behind and they look at that pain and they then can become angry or judgmental about the person who's died. And again, I think we need to be really just um, careful about that and try and not have the emotions drive uh, what we say, particularly to bereaved people. Mostly those who are really suffering at the loss of someone don't think of the person as weak or selfish they love the person what they're aware of is the suffering of the person who's died and what actually led them to this they're not thinking them of them as weak or selfish there's a tendency also to
5: draw on tropes or cliches for another word that around death in general and I think they can make you feel make parts of the community feel isolated and I think it's important, you know, there's definitely a moment in LGBTIQA plus people where, you know, religion can be a really complicated space for our community. That being said, a lot of queer people do have faith. And so religion can play a really important part and faith can play a really important part of, of healing at this time. But for some people, religion in our community is a very painful time. So to be told that the person who's died has gone to heaven you know you need to be sensitive around that language or that you know I've definitely seen a lot of sort of communications you know in the space that I work in of people saying like oh they're now with their mother or they're now in heaven with this person or that person and I think it's I think it's just cliches and drawing on religious things that are that can be really painful particularly if the person who died wasn't even religious I think that that can be a further painful thing.
1: Supporting a person who has lost someone to suicide takes courage and empathy to be sensitive to what they're going through. It is important to be mindful of the things that are not helpful to say, particularly around the how and the method. It is also important to be careful not to make judgments about the person who died. What you can do to really help someone who is grieving is to reach out and show the person that you support them in an appropriate way. This is only part one of this topic, so keep listening to the next episode of Let's Talk About Suicide, where we're going to continue this conversation. But before you go, it's that part of the episode where I share with you some things that the people we interviewed with lived experience did to help them with their grief. Some things they did for their self-care. They are some practical and helpful things that you might consider doing right now, or maybe just store in the back of your mind for later to help you through your bereavement. This one's from Peter.
7: I've been overseas. i went overseas for six weeks. I travelled on my own. Um, I met up with friends and family while I was overseas. But I also went to places that I'd never thought I'd ever go to. Um, I ended up in Israel going to Tel Aviv. And that was interesting. And so I've done some things that that are really outside of my comfort zone. Because normally like going overseas or whatever I would have to know exactly where I was going when I was going I would have accommodation booked flights booked all that sort of stuff all I had this time was you know my, my, my return ticket and I knew that I wanted to go to visit relatives in Germany and stuff like that but outside of that I didn't really have anything else planned and I booked hotels at the last minute I booked flights at the last minute I did all those things that aren't kind of me um, and I coped which I was quite surprised at, but kind of happy about as well. So, I don't know, you know in a way, I, I, what's, what, you know, I, I was winging it. I really needed, I, I, I need to start living in the moment. Um, and that was, that was me trying to live in the moment. I'm not saying it wasn't stressful, <laughs> um, but I did it and I survived. Um, and so I've, I've, been, I've been quite pleased with that.
1: You can download the other episodes in this series from joy.org.au slash letstalk or look for them in your podcast feed. And you can also download the full-length interviews with the people who have shared their own stories. Thanks to our amazing expert panel, Joe Ball from Switchboard Victoria and Louise Flynn from Support After Suicide. And also to the people we interviewed with lived experience, Alice, Beau, Lara and Peter. Let's Talk About Suicide is presented and produced by me, Hamish Blunk, Editorial assistance by Joy Program Director Rachel Tyler-Jones and technical help from Jack Trainor, Joy Production Manager. If you'd like to contact the show, you can email us at joy.org.au. But if you need to talk to somebody right now or are in crisis, please contact one of the following services in Australia. QLife on 1800 184 527. Suicide callback service on 1300 659 467. Or lifeline on 13 11 14. You can find all of these contact details at joy.org.au. Let's talk. Until next time, take care.